Welcome back to It's an Inside Job podcast. I'm your host, Jason Lim. Now, this podcast is dedicated to helping you to help yourself and others to become more mentally and emotionally resilient so you can be better at bouncing back from life's inevitable setbacks. Now, on It's an Inside Job, we decode the science and stories of resilience into practical advice, skills, and strategies that you can use to impact your life and those around you. Now, with that said, let's slip into the stream. Welcome back, folks. Thanks for joining me for another episode, a fresh Monday in the top of a new week. And on top of that, it is the first Monday of October. October is my favorite month of the year just because of the colors, because of that time of year, and also because my twin daughters have a birthday at the end of the month, and I always love that. That's always a big kick for me. As I usually do the first Monday of every month, I like to kick off the episode as a solo project. And this time I'd like to do a deeper dive into the science of intuition. Now, I cannot do it enough justice like my guest from season one, episode 18, Michael Instrom, who talks about cultivating intuition. He is the guru of intuition. But I want to take my shot at it and to try to complement his skills and knowledge. You can find the link to his episode in the show notes. What I'd also like to do is mix things up a little. So the first of every month, what I'd also like to do is introduce the guests that I have lined up for that month. So the first guest of the month in episode 15 will be Katie Silcock. Now, she's a New York Times bestselling author, and she's also uh, the founder of the Shakti School, which focuses on women-centered holistic wellness. She also has her business focus in the convergence of ancient holistic medicine, modern science, and heart-centered spirituality. And on top of all those accolades, she's also been voted as San Francisco's best yoga teacher. And so in that episode, we talk about brain science, we talk about the sciences of the yoga, and how the two of them can be combined to create a better sense of resilience. Now, in episode 16, I'll be joined by Katrina Ospaz. She is a Norwegian freelance writer, journalist, and commentator. Now, for 13 years of her career, she worked as the business editor and writer for Norway's premier newspaper, Oftenposten. But currently, she's an author, and she has written three best-selling books here in Norway, The Age of Generosity, Pink is the New Punk, and The Emotional Revolution. And it's the emotional revolution that we do a deeper dive in the episode to talk about emotions. What are emotions? How can we learn from emotions? How can they communicate to us? Why are they so valuable? And so in episode 17, I'm continuing my ongoing series on building resilience from the perspective of business owners, entrepreneurs, and business leaders. And I'm joined by a really great guy, Knut Magna Onestad. Now, being an entrepreneur in any business is never an easy road. Success comes from failures, comes from learning from mistakes and mishaps. In this episode, Knut Magna talks about his road to resilience, how he navigated serious health problems, how he navigated arguments and conflicts with previous partners of business partners, also how he had to find techniques and ways to distance himself from overwhelming emotions. Although his business is a success today, it was not an easy road to climb. And this episode, well, it is a manual for most of us to understand how to build resilience. And to round up the end of the month, on Halloween, October 31st, I am joined by Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. She's a Harvard-trained and published neuroscientist. Her memoir, My Stroke of Insight, documents her experience with stroke and an eight-year recovery. 
Her book spent 63 weeks on the New York Times bestselling list. We had a fascinating conversation where we delved into her real life experience of understanding her brain from a stroke perspective, how her left hemisphere completely went offline and how her right hemisphere became everything. It became her life. But she saw life in a completely different way. And never before has there been someone who's had that witness specifically from a neuroscientific educated perspective. And for me, it was a very fascinating way to understand the the hemispheres and how they function and how they create the reality that we experience every day. And so I hope you'll have the chance to join me every Monday for each of these fascinating, engaging conversations. I mean, they share from a wide spectrum of disciplines and schools of thought, skills and stories and strategies that we can all use to better our lives, to improve our lot in life. So with that said, let's slip into the stream and into my solo project on when to trust your intuition. When it comes to making decisions, look before you leap sounds like good advice. But isn't deliberately calculating all possible outcomes the best way to arrive at an appropriate solution? Especially in the West, there's a growing emphasis on critical analysis of cold, hard facts. Relying on intuition is increasingly viewed as naive and misguided. As we spend more time in our heads, we spend less and less time listening to our gut. But gut feelings can be a powerful tool to making decisions. Why? Well, because intuition is based on knowledge and information you've collected consciously and unconsciously about the world around you since you were born. Setting the stage for a gut feeling is a whole lot of processing as the brain absorbs new input and compares it with prior experience. Some scientists say that the brain is a guessing machine, continually making predictions and updating its cognitive models. Now, I recently read a book by Andy Clark. Now, in his book, Surfing Uncertainty, Prediction, Action, and the Embodied Mind, he states, To deal rapidly and fluently with an uncertain and noisy world, brains like ours have become masters of prediction. Surfing the waves of noisy and ambiguous sensory stimulation by, in effect, trying to stay just ahead of them. Most predictions occur unconsciously as our brains sift through the deluge of information in daily life. The brain constantly compares and revises its ideas based on whether our current experience strongly aligns with our prior experience or if there is a significant discrepancy between the two. Intuition happens when our cognitive models are confirmed or contradicted, but the information hasn't yet seeped into our conscious awareness. Now, let's highlight this with an example. Say you're walking down the street at night, and as you approach a park, an inner voice tells you to cross the other side of the road. Get to the other side of the road. You hear it echoing and resonating in your brain. Well, moments later, a large dog comes bounding out of the woods, barking and baring its teeth. Thankful for you, you've listened to your intuition. Perhaps you don't even recall that as you started down the block, you heard the dog's owner calling at you. Yet, your brain picked up on subconscious cues and registered that, well, something felt off. The reason for gut feelings is something called implicit memory, or knowing without knowing. 
Implicit memory is when you learn something without any recollection of having learned it, such as knowing how to ride a bike. You're unaware of the knowledge that you've acquired. Explicit memory, on the other hand, well, that involves conscious learning. An example of this would be memorizing a list of dates for a history exam. We generally take for granted that, with practice, you can learn to memorize facts better. But as you gain experience in a specific situation, you can also sharpen your intuition and become more adept at using it over time. So let's shift the conversation to talk about something called metacognition. Simply said, that's thinking about your thinking. Let's say you're walking your dog in a park, but all of a sudden, at the corner of your eye, you see a frisbee headed your way. You don't think about what you're going to do. You instinctively throw up your hands or you dodge to the side to avoid being hit by that frisbee. Of course, there are other times where we don't have to react instinctively. We need to carefully weigh the pros and cons of a matter like applying for college or seeking a new job or position. Psychologists contrast these two thinking styles as intuitive, which is fast and emotional, versus analytical, which is slow and rational. Now, depending on the scenario, one or the other is considered more appropriate. In matters of the heart, well, we trust our feelings. But for serious decisions, quote, serious decisions, intuition is often considered too messy and inaccurate. Now, emotions play a crucial role in making rational decisions. However, they reflect the thoughts, impressions, and experience stored in your body and in your brain. Now, this bodily knowledge manifests itself as what we call that gut feeling or sometimes that spidey sense, that tingling that we have. You not only remember whether a past experience was good or bad, negative or positive, you also recall how it felt. Now, recently I came across a very interesting neuroscientist by the name of Antonio Damasio. He developed a hypothesis that he stated as somatic marker hypothesis that explains the driving force behind gut feeling. You know, he says that the brain and body are in constant communication. And when we feel strong emotions about a person or a place or a situation, our heart rate speeds up and hormones are released. Areas to the brain, such as the insula, which is responsible for social emotions like empathy as well as drives like hunger, learn associations between specific situations and our emotional states. And in this manner, a somatic marker either sounds an alarm bell or provides an incentive to pursue a future reward. Now, Damasio applied his theory in what's quoted as the Iowa gambling task, which basically is a test of decision-making abilities. Now, in the experiment, participants are told to draw cards one at a time from four different decks in order to win the game's money. Some decks contain more reward cards, while others carry a penalty. Most people switched to the good decks after about 40 or 50 cards. Yet it only took about 10 bad cards before they exhibited physical signs of anxiety, as measured by a skin test of stress levels. Now, this shows that the body thinks faster than the mind. In general, it's difficult for studies to quantify intuitive thinking, however, because it occurs subconsciously. Also, when we talk about reason and intuition, we talk about them as two separate things. But actually, they cannot be separated. They're not so easily teased apart. Instead, what happens in the brain is that we often combine the two. Even important business decisions can start with a hunch, that spidey sense, which then we usually follow up with strategy, talking about tactical moves and painstaking analysis and testing out new ideas. 
While snap judgments can be wrong, overthinking also has its disadvantages. Researchers at the John Hopkins Carrick Business School and the Max Planck Institute for Human Development in Berlin, Germany, have shown that people with little knowledge of the stock market can sometimes create a better stock portfolio than financial experts. So where the non-experts tend to choose companies whose names they kind of recognize or maybe that they shop at, the experts, on the other hand, were kind of overthinking because they were flooded by a deluge of information. Well, that still leaves us with one question. When can you trust your gut? Well, in any given situation, we tend to rely more on our thinking style than any other. So how reliable are gut feelings, that spidey sense? Well, it's tricky. Given that intuition uses involuntary older processing, it can potentially lead you astray. I think one excellent resource to try to answer this question is a book that I've talked about several times on this podcast. It is by the Nobel Prize winner Daniel Kahneman, who is the godfather of behavioral economics, but also his famous book in 2012 that he wrote called Thinking Fast and Slow. Now, some of the major problems, some of the major hurdles are something he talks about as cognitive biases or heuristics, these mental shortcuts that our brains tend to make when it comes to decision making. Now, many of us are often inclined to evaluate a situation based on immediately available evidence, while at the same time overlooking absent evidence. Well, what I'd like to do now is dive into Daniel Kahneman's book and talk about five of these errors in judgment that we make. Now, the first one is called confirmation bias. This is when people see only the evidence that confirms their pre-existing beliefs and ignore the rest. The second, well, it's overconfidence. People who act overconfident have an excessive belief in their own intuitions, their assumptions, their predictions, that gut feeling. A third error in judgment is called the zero risk effect. Now, most people desire certainty and security. We chase after that. We've talked about this many times in the podcast. So what happens then? Well, they will avoid taking risks even if it would benefit them. Now, a fourth judgment error is what's called the ostrich effect. I think many of us understand this is when we stick our heads in the sand, we bury our heads in the earth trying to avoid bad news where we are swamped with wishful thinking. Now, a fifth is the optimistic bias. This is when we human beings tend to imagine that the future will be better than the present. And you might have heard yourself or heard others saying, well, won't it be great when dot, dot, dot. Well, when you are facing a decision, it can be a good idea to try looking for such biases, these errors in judgment. Ask yourself whether you have thoroughly assessed the situations. Well, once you are aware of common cognitive biases, these shortcuts in our thinking, these heuristics, well, that can influence our intuitions, we can become more adept at recognizing and avoiding those pitfalls. So if we bring this conversation to a head, if we tie a bow on this, what does this mean? Well, it means by combining our intuition and analytical thinking, we can improve our ability to make more sound decisions. We can avoid those cognitive biases, those brain pitfalls that we sometimes fall into. And then you'll know whether it's better to sleep on it or to go with that gut feeling, to listen to that spidey sense. 
what I'd like to do now is to rewind and replay. Go back to season one, episode 18, when we talked with Michael Engstrom, the guru of intuition. In that episode, Michael shared a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge around his 20 plus years in the game of intuition. And so what I want to do is just take a short excerpt and to link it to today's episode. You will find the episode link in the podcast notes with Michael Engstrom. But for now, let's slip into the stream and listen to what he had to say. Let's change the scenario a little. Let's say someone is faced with a lot of uncertainty, Michael. And, you know, part of them is saying, go for it. I've asked myself a yes or no question and my gut is saying yes. But there's a part of me where that self-doubt, that inner critic's coming up. But because I'm a little bit of anxious state because of the uncertainty, I might find it hard to tell the difference between actually what is the anxious voice and actually what is the intuition. I might, because I might say, okay, one side of me is saying, take the chance. The other saying, no, maybe you should wait on this. How does someone who's not as experienced of you, of course, tell the difference between what is actually an inner critic and what is actually the intuition? Because in my mind, because I'm not so experienced in this myself, I could see those two voices blending and be hard for me to tell which one is the right, the right voice to listen to. Does that make sense? It's it's a very good question. First of all, I have to make this clear. Okay. I have not been, many people think I was, I'm like, I have been in a luxury position. I I have not been in a luxury position when Mm -hmm. I have done this, because it's very important to say this, because otherwise it should be so easy. I ha- it has been really, really tough decisions mm-hmm. for me of different reasons. So I, I think it's important to say that. Thank you. Uh, back to your really good question. First of all, uh, it's good to know if you f- you, the, the, your intuition is super fast. If you need to think, it's not your intuition. Your intuition comes even before we have uh, 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 you know, put the question, more or less. That, that's really important to know. So if you ask these kind of questions, in a way you don't know what intuition is, then it's time to experience. <laughs> now you're laughing. <laughs> you no, know, but it's it, so it resonates with me. <laughs> because no, now if you should see uh, my friend here, she's laughing very beautifully. And this is this yes and no questions. I have created a tool. It's actually, I'm asking questions and I, I'm just interested in the yes answers. And a big smile of yours is actually yes. I found out after these years, when you smile like this, it's a yes. So when I just said now, it's time for you to really find out what intuition is and you just start smiling. Oh yeah, you're saying the whole body of yours. I know you have tried, you are very skilled in your field. I, I'm very... No, thanks for that. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really want to say this. So I, I have deep respect for your knowledge and our meeting in Oslo, you know, uh, 100%. Still, this is good, uh, what I'm saying now. Intuition, as you know, this subconscious area, is it's like people, mostly men, have created it. It's a very mysterious place. You cannot access it. It's like closed area. It's not. You and I now, we are actually helping people to get the key to people to to start 
open this uh, box up. So, so back to this question. You have to practice. You have to be brave. Everybody, I think, who listening here have once or twice or many times taking this bold decision, you know, have a great problem. You think everything is so messed up. Then you go to the core, the core, you know, to the source, and you go for the biggest issue. And then you're just brave and maybe talk to your mother, your father or sister or girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever. And you're just brave to be honest. And then all of, after that, everything is released. You don't have any problems left, right? This is what, what I'm talking about, to be brave. So you, you, I promise that if you are just honest and want to find this out, you, your subconscious mind is helping you. You are actually, your subconscious is waking up and it's your subconscious is you. It's not some mysterious thing. It's you. The subconscious, everything about your subconscious is you. It's nobody else. And, and it's, it's waking up. So if you just dare to try it out and very smoothly, it's going to open up. It's, not, it's nothing dangerous as long as you trust yourself. We are so intelligent. Every, everybody's taking, talking about AI, you know, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about human intelligence. Uh, it, it, it's much, much more advanced <laughs> in all senses. You know, one of the places to start training this would be sort of, I guess, with low-hanging fruit per se. You know, it doesn't have to be big choices. They could be small choices. You know, I remember yes. when walking with my kids when they were younger and we'd go exploring different cities, whether it's in the States or Canada or in Europe. And we'd be just walking down a city we hadn't been to. And I'd ask the kids, hey, guys, should we go left, right, or straight? What does your gut tell you, right? And so we would do that. And it would be a little game. And so we would get lost and explore. And then it would create an experience. And I just said, don't think about it. Just what does it feel like? And so we would do this, you know, for a couple hours. And we we create a whole new experience, right? And the kids got to lead the way. We didn't have any fixed plan. So I really liked that idea because it was all from their gut. So is this one way to practice in a sense? I, I, you can see, I, now I'm smiling. I, I, it's so nice when you're telling about your kids. Actually, I have done so with my daughter as well, uh, the same game. And it's really good you saying, uh, talking about kids, because if you want to go into this, we talked about nature before, right? If you want to go back into your like uh, natural state, why don't connect with children, uh, like you just said? Well, we are at the tail end of another episode. Thank you again for joining me this week. I hope you'll be able to join me every Monday throughout October for a lot of these interesting, fascinating interviews that I have lined up for you all. As usual, if you could take the time to rate, subscribe, share, recommend this podcast to your friends, to your colleagues, I would really appreciate it because it helps me to get the word out there. And if you wish to subscribe to the newsletter that I re release every Wednesday morning, you can just follow the links in the show notes. It's just a little short email that tells you about the upcoming episode, and usually I include an article or two. 
Anyways, thanks again for joining me this week. And until next week, keep well, keep strong, and we'll speak soon. Thank you.